Yeah. <laughs> so we've been talking about spiritual growth and um, what, that, what that means and what that looks like for all of us. And um, one of the things, you know, we can take from the video, this is kind of a goofy little video with an obnoxious main character, right, that was under the impression that he could potentially do everything on his own. And in reality, it's, it's actually a bit of a parable for all of us. If you, take a, you, know, if you think of it in, in terms of, of a parable and what we can take from it, you and I probably more uh, resemble the single character who, who thought that he could play the game and, and live life on his own terms and do everything in and of himself, by himself, and find success. And it was quite a rude awakening when he came to realize that, hey, I don't think I can do this by myself. In fact, I'm going to fail miserably if I attempt to do this thing all on my own. And so the truth is, when it comes to spiritual life, when it comes to developing spiritually and growing spiritually, you and I cannot be successful in and of ourselves and by ourselves. It does, in fact, require a bit more of a team, if you will. It does demand a certain level of engagement or the invitation to engage with others. And, and therefore, we cannot do it alone. But here's the thing that holds us back, right? This is what I was thinking about really, really early this morning. Here's the thing that kind of holds us back. Because you and I in the video, we're, we're that guy in the black t-shirt, right? Trying to do everything on our own. And here's the thing about us. We are fiercely independent people, aren't we? And that's just kind of the way it is in our country and in our culture and in our world. We are fiercely independent. And here's the other thing. We are ruthlessly self-absorbed. <laughs> right? Just like the guy in the video, he was fiercely independent. He showed up. He had his own bag of gear. He was ready to play. He thought he could do it all on his own. He was going to pitch, play outfield, run the bases, do everything on, in and of himself. And then we are ruthlessly self-absorbed. The notion that I even have the capacity to do everything. The notion that I could even grow by myself and become all that God has intended for me is kind of silly and probably the epitome of arrogance. Because the truth of the matter is we, while it is it is, it is our responsibility to grow. While, while God looks to us to seek to grow, he says, seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. He understands, too, that it takes, that there's going to be, um, that's, that what's going to be required for that growth and development is the involvement of other people. The beauty of this thing, the thing that, how God has put this all together, that he's given us a community of faith. He's given us people around us. He's, he's given us uh, others that we get to engage with so that we can, in fact, grow and develop and become more. But we ha what we have to rid ourselves of, right, is this fierce independence that we all have and this ruthless commitment to self-absorption. So, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're looking at the book of Philippians this morning. We're going to talk about what it means to grow, and perhaps more importantly, what it means to grow in light of the community 
around me. And what Paul's going to teach us about how we grow in the context of community, how we involve others in our development and in our growth. So you remember, perhaps you remember last week I mentioned this one thing and it ties in with where we're going this morning. Um, I said that in our natural maturation as people, as you and I grow through, you know, our toddler years and then we become, uh, we get a little bit older and middle school and high school and adolescence and all that, young adult years and all that, we grow more independent, right? That's the reality of it. We grow more independent. And we have that expectation of you. If you're a parent, you no longer want to be changing diapers on your kid if they're like really, really old, right? No longer do they need to, you know, do some of the things that they did when they were young kids. We, there's an expectation that they grow more independent. You're not going to sit in the high chair and we're going to put some, some, some Cheerios on the little tray and you feed yourself that way anymore. That's not going to happen when you're 13, 14, 15 years old. Please tell me that's not happening, right? So there's an expectation that you grow more independent. You get older, you get a, you know, you get a car and that's the height of independence in you. You begin to do things for yourselves. You have money now and those mean parents start to make you pay for stuff, right? I love my children. My, ch- my children would be like, Dad... Don't you want to take me out to eat? And then when we get there, it's like, so dad, you got to pay for it too, right? Don't you have your own money? I thought we settled this. No, because if I take you with me, you'll pay for it. I get to keep my money, right? See, that's how that goes. So, so but the expectation is, is that you grow and you become more independent uh, when it comes to our physical, natural maturation. The opposite is true when it comes to our spiritual development. When it comes to spiritual development, remember last week we talked about this call where God says, where are you? In Genesis, Adam and Eve had sinned, fallen. God comes along walking in the garden and he says, where are you? Sounds like a question, but in reality it's a calling because God's saying, where are you? You are supposed to be with me. Will you come back? Don't hide from me. Don't hide from me. Come back to me. And so you and I answer that call to come back home. And then we we answer the call to come back home, and then we choose to live in dependence upon. The Bible calls it abiding. We choose to abide in Christ. We choose to live in relationship with God, at home with Him, in dependence upon Him. And so in order for us to grow spiritually, we absolutely know that we must rely heavily. We must rely 100%. We must trust in, we must put our faith in this God who loves us and who saves us and who is ultimately responsible for growing us into the people that he wants us to become. And that's, a nat- that's, that's easy to fathom, right? The notion that we come back to God and we connect with God and we live in relationship with God in order to grow. Abide in me, God says. But what may be a little bit more challenging for us in our hyper-independent state is the notion that there may have to also be an interdependence upon other people. In other words, you need the people sitting in the pew next to you. Right? So right right now, what I want you to do is turn to the person to your left and to your right and say, I need you. And say, 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 and right now I need some money. Can you help me out? No, I'm kidding. Don't say that. 
But the reality of it is, we need each other, which is extremely difficult for us sometimes to fathom that we actually need someone else for our spiritual growth. But it's all throughout the Bible, and we see it, um, we see it all throughout Scripture. We see this, this sort of different mentality that comes about in Scripture, whereas you and I are fiercely independent and ruthlessly self-absorbed, what we see Jesus what we see Jesus doing is coming into a culture that has those same tendencies and deciding that he would call a bunch of men to himself. He would invite 12 disciples to come along with him. And it was natural for that culture not to go it alone. But obviously, naturally, as we've progressed down through the ages of time, you and I have become far more isolated, far more committed to independence, even when it comes to our spirituality, than they have been in past cultures. And yet the, the, the imagery, the, the, in, the message that we get from Scripture is that you and I cannot, we should not do it alone. So I want to take you to a passage in the book of Philippians where we get a little bit of insight into this very notion uh, of trying, of, of attempting to shed or to rid ourselves of this fierce independence and this, uh, this ruthless self-absorption. Which, by the way, these things hinder growth. They don't actually promote growth. So we're looking at how we can develop and become, uh, and become all that God intended for us to be. All right, so here's, uh, here's the Apostle Paul. He writes to the Philippian church. Um, and the Philippian church actually was, was a church that kind of had it going on. All right, they, they actually had things going pretty well. So when Paul writes, and by the way, he has a lot of, he has a lot of uh, love for this church. He established this church. He is a big part of founding this church. Um, so it's very personal for him. So as he writes to the Philippians, he writes with a deep heart of compassion for the people in Philippi. It's a pretty significant city, pretty major city. And, um, but he's not writing to... To, to handle any sort of, sort of terrible thing that's been going on there. Sometimes you read some of the epistles, some of the letters that Paul wrote, and right off the bat, you get, you get the idea that there's something wrong with these people. They've been doing some stuff. They've been involved in some things that, that you, know, you shouldn't be involved in as Christians and so on and so forth. With the book of Philippians, things are actually going pretty well. Things are going, things are going well. He's not writing to to point out any specific uh, heretical sort of thing that might be going on or any particular moral thing that might be going on. Um, in fact, you might say that he's writing to them to say, hey, love what you're doing. It's awesome. Keep it up. But you might want to watch out for this. And the way that you want to be conscious of it and, and what you want to do to combat this is to do this. So he's saying, good thing going. Keep it going. But watch out, because just naturally in this world, there's stuff that's going to happen. Anytime you're going to do something, even in the context of a church, you're going to be challenged some way. You're going to find opposition. There's going to be stuff that comes up. So I want you to be ready for that and handle it this way so things can continue to go well for you. That's kind of Paul's position on this. So we pick it up in... Um, in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. So we'll just kind of read it together, follow along with me if you can. He says, Therefore, therefore, 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Pick up on that. Uh, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's that, that's that ruthless, uh, that's that um, hyper-independence that I'm talking about right there. And that, that hyper-self-absorption that we're talking about. That's it right there. Do nothing out of self, selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, he says, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you, verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In verse 5, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Ah. So, so he's, he's suggesting to, to them, things are going well for you, but here's the attitude when things come up, and they will, because it's church, and we're fallen, broken people, and whenever you get a whole bunch of fallen, broken people together, stuff happens. But he says, this is your attitude in the midst of things. This is how you're going to continue to grow and become all that God wants you to become as things get challenging. When the rough spots come, pay attention to your attitude. Attitude. You ever think about, back in the day, it seems like every motivational speaker I heard, and maybe even some pastors, would always say this, and it's become cliche, right? Your attitude will determine your Altitude. Some of you listen to the same people, right? All right. Your attitude will determine your altitude. So, so, so what helps you to get to where you want to go? What helps you to become more to a great extent, even when it comes to our spiritual life and our spiritual development? It very well will be. What's your mindset, man? What's your attitude? Do you, do you want to grow? Do you want to become more? How do you, what do you think of the people around you? How do you relate to the people around you? Do you isolate and just sort of hang out over here by yourself, assuming that you got it all down and you can do it all on your own and you'll be just fine and you look like that obnoxious dude in the video? Or is your attitude, is your attitude that, hey, there's more to this than just me. There's more to, the, to, there's more to this spiritual life and knowing and being in relationship with God than me and just God. There's a horizontal aspect to how I grow spiritually. And do I invest in that reality? Do I even count it as valid? Do I even... Do I even recognize the, the, the power of connecting with and developing right alongside someone else? That's sort of the question. Now, here's the thing about when you read the Bible. Check this out. Wherever there's a therefore, wherever there's a therefore, you have to think about, you have to look at what came before because he's continuing. They're connected. Wherever there's a therefore that starts a verse, you got to look at what comes before. So we're going to look at that real quick because chapter 2 verse 1 starts with the therefore. So what is the therefore connected to that precedes the therefore, right? Verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 kind of makes the connection for us, okay? It says, 
whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, whatever happens, because he knows stuff is going to happen, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. He's talking to a group of people, a group of Christians. I want you to stand together in the same spirit, the same attitude. This is what we're about. This is what matters. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, is what he says. And then you could continue on in verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, right? So there's the connection. That's where the therefore comes from. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in this way. If you're going to be a mature, growing believer, if you are going to develop spiritually, there's a certain way that you conduct yourselves when things get rough. And it probably doesn't involve social media. <laughs> yeah, if, you're, if, if things are challenging for you in your community of faith, if things are rough for you, if, if things aren't quite where they should be spiritually and you have an opinion about it, he doesn't say, go write a rant and post it on Facebook. We've all been there. We've all done that silliness, right? And we've all regretted it. But what he says is conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Do it in such a way that you reflect Jesus. Do it in such a way that it isn't all about you. Do it in such a way that reflects and resembles a maturity, a, a commitment to growing, and a commitment to love the people in your community that speaks, that reflects on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. And then he ties them all together. He says, this is what we have in common. Verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2 again. Being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit... If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. He says, so this is what we have in common as Christ followers. You and I, the same family, adopted into the same family. We're all Christians. And what we experience here is this comfort of God's love. We've been united. We've come home. We're with him. There's the comfort of that love. And that love is deep and profound. We sang about it, right? That love is deep and profound, and it matters. Don't you dare question whether or not you are loved by God. You are deeply loved by God. And therefore, therefore, you don't need to go looking for love in all the wrong places. God says, we share this same love. We've been adopted into this same family. Uh, and, and then he says, uh, if any comfort from his love, you should experience that comfort. Any fellowship with the Spirit. Because of the Spirit of God, you and I feel a connection. Because of the Spirit of God, who God deposits in us when we receive him and accept him as Lord and Savior, we have this shared common experience. There is a Spirit about us. 
It's within all of us. And so it, and so it sort of permeates wherever we gather together. It's the spirit of Almighty God that binds us together. And he says, Don't, uh, you should find comfort in the love. You should, you should uh, find comfort in the fellowship of the spirit. And then he says, you should, have, you, should exp- you should also understand the tenderness and compassion. Those sort of things should be in the environment and the atmosphere of your church. A tenderness and a compassion. Now I'm thinking that we can grow in that sort of environment, man. I'm thinking that we can grow and we can become. If there's that sort of, there, there's the spirit of God, there's the comfort of knowing that I'm loved, but then there's a tenderness and compassion that fills my church. Who can't grow in that environment? Right? It's like some of you have raised children, right? And some of you in the future will, will raise children. And it was always exciting to watch it when your kid would start to, you know, become mobile. And they could pull themselves up and they could start to walk and so forth. And there was never a moment, hopefully, uh, prayerfully, I believe that this is true. There was never a moment where you got mad at that kid where they just, you know, where they, when they didn't perform Right when they didn't get the, the 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 walking down just perfectly when they were learning, right? Come on, kid, what's wrong with you? Walk already. You demonstrated some tenderness and some compassion, and you you loved them along the way. You didn't just sort of put them off in a room and say, "Okay, walk." Pick yourself up and do it. I love you. I love you. Yeah, walk. So you can eventually run out of my house, right? You didn't do that. But in the context of love and deep compassion, you nurtured and you cared for and you loved. You made sure your child came along. Paul says, if any of that exists, then, then make my joy it fills me with joy, he says. He says, um, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. In the same way that you've been shown love by Christ and you've been shown compassion and tenderness, I want you to demonstrate that same. When things get rough, I want you to demonstrate that same love, that same compassion, that same tenderness to the people around you. Be patient. Be compassionate. And then he gets to kind of the meat of it. This is where it gets kind of rough. And it's not saying that they necessarily had this issue there in Philippi, but he says it could well up. And this is pretty hardcore stuff. This is, this is really good, though. In verse 3, he says, do nothing. Be careful of this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. So two, two big ideas that come out of this idea. He says, um, he says uh, selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition has at its core this, um, this need to make everything about me. And this will be a major um, stunting of our growth. If we decide that everything is about me, that I'm the center of the universe, right? That doesn't help anyone grow. But it's the epitome, right? It's the epitome of a fierce independence and a ruthless self-absorption. That's 
making it all about me. So when I enter into the community, when I come and I, and I gather with other Christ followers, I'm only thinking about me, and I'm only thinking about what I'm going to get out of it, not what I can contribute to God, and, and certainly not what I can contribute to others, but really it's all about me, because it's all about me. It's like my favorite line from uh, the old wide receiver who's now retired. He's not terribly old, but he's retired. He left the Cowboys and retired with Terrell Owens. He said, I love me some me. <laughs> and that's sometimes where we can get because we understand God's love for us and we understand his compassion and tenderness for, toward us. And we might begin to think that we're pretty special. And yeah, we are. God loves us. But healthy, maturing, growing believers understand and keep that love in perspective. And it doesn't create pride and self-righteousness. But in fact, as we'll get to here in just a minute, it creates humility and selflessness. And so he says here, do nothing out of self, selfish ambition. Think about whether or not you make everything revolve around you. Think about it. You know, think in you know, those moments, and we all have, and I have, I'm guilty of this, and I'm a pastor, that I've made it all about me. And that's the thing that will keep us from becoming all that God intends us to be. If it's all about you, you'll have a tendency only to invest as far, as long as it doesn't cost you anything. You'll go, you'll, you'll commit as long as it doesn't disrupt your life too much. You'll do just enough to say that, yeah, 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 I helped out, I assisted. But I wasn't really in it. My heart wasn't really in it. I did just enough because at the end of the day, it's about me and the nice little pictures I can post on Facebook to show people what I did with my church. <laughs> Selfish ambition. Here's the second one. This one is even bigger. He says, vain conceit, vain conceit, interesting word behind, um, if you look at it in the original language of the Greek, of course, in the New Testament, it basically literally means glory hunger, glory hunger. And in other words, he's saying that vain conceit reflects our desire for glory, but he uses it, it's even stronger, a hunger for glory. Wow. And if you think about it, the, the purpose of our growth, the reason we're going to grow spiritually is not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. If you want to think about it, if you, you know, just boil it down to a very simple level and say, what, what am I put on this planet to do? What am I put on this planet to become? You are put on this planet to glorify God. You are put on this planet to become a glorifier of God. And not a glorifier of you. But he says, Paul says, be careful of your glory hunger. That's literally what the Greek word means. Be careful of your glory hunger. Be mindful of your attitude. And basically what he's saying is sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we well up with pride if in fact we're overlooked. 
If no one notices me, or if no one notices my opinion, if no one notices my contribution, if no one celebrates what I've done, then my feelings get hurt, and I, because I really need to be celebrated, there needs to be, there's some glory hunger going on here, and I need to be glorified. And Paul says, be careful, man. There's a danger in that. It, it will keep you from growing. It will, it will mess you up. If, you're, if, you, if this whole thing, if this whole spiritual life and, and how you relate to church and so forth is just about you and what you can get out of it, and it's about your glory, and it's about people noticing you, and it's about people sort of celebrating you, then you'll never grow. You'll never become all that I intended for you to be. And you'll, you'll remain, you'll remain someone who's ruthlessly self-absorbed and fiercely, fiercely independent. He says, that's not how you grow. So he, can, he, comes, he comes along and he provides a remedy for all of this. And this is great. This is, this is really good. Verse 4, he says, each of you, no, it, actually it's verse 3, the, towards the end of verse 3, do not... He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but, he says, in humility. Everybody say on three, humility. One, two, three. <laughs> awesome. We, humility. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. He says, the attitude, the, the best attitude for growth and the best attitude to avoid stunting your growth is humility. To be low. Not to belittle yourself and not to be a doormat, but to be humble. Don't make a big deal out of yourself. And don't get so bent out of shape when somebody doesn't notice what you've done or pay attention to your accomplishments. Just be humble. Be approachable. Be engaged. Create some connection and some fellowship with the people around you. Is kind of what he's saying. Don't, don't just be an arrogant, standoffish person over here that nobody really can connect to. He says be humble. Come low. Don't make a bigger deal out of yourself than you are. Make a big deal out of Jesus. He's the star of the show. Celebrate God and who he is. And be interested in other people. Be interested in other people. You know, one of the things we're challenged with as a church very often is people, people are... Um, it's easy to critique us. We're a large church. So it's easy for people to kind of come into our midst and be missed and remain anonymous. And people will sometimes walk away from our church and say, man, that church is unfriendly and it's cold and I don't want to have anything to do with that church. I'm never going back there. And to a certain extent, we're probably guilty of that. And one of the remedies to that is a simple humility. And that's simply to say, hey, I... I'll reach out to anybody. I'll connect with anyone. I will, I will show an interest in the lives of other people. I may not even fully know them, but I'm okay welcoming, here, welcoming them here to this church because I want to 
know them. That's kind of my calling. That's my attitude. In verse 5, he kind of seals the deal. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. At the end of the day, our growth will be determined by not our independence or our self-absorption, but by our willingness to take on the same attitude of Christ. And I think there's one huge step that we all have to take. I think there's one huge step that we all have to take, and we have to take this every day. I think it's an everyday spiritual discipline that we should all, that we should all incorporate into our lives, and that is this, to pray, to kneel at the feet of Jesus, and to pray. And that prayer should be a prayer of surrender. That prayer should be a prayer that says, God, because I want to grow and because I want my community to be strong and because I want my community of faith to be um, a a place of of, of harmony, if you will, and people filled with the right attitude so that we all grow and become all that you want us to be, I surrender. I give up my fierce independence my fierce independence and my ruthless self-absorption. I'm laying it down, God. This thing has never been and never will be about me. If anything, God, help me to know. If anything, Lord, help me to be reminded of the fact that you called me to follow your example, to go and lay down, to be humiliated, to be humble, to deny myself, and to simply follow you. And a big part of my growth and development will be, am I willing to just sort of let self slide to the back? Let Jesus take center stage. So that that as I relate to those around me, there's a deep sense of humility. I'm not off over here by myself. I'm not absorbed in only me. I'm not determined to let everything evolve around me. It's just, at the end of the day, about loving Jesus and learning, trying desperately, (laughs) in all humility, to love the people around me. Pray with me. Father God, thank you that um, you want us to grow, and it's because only because of you that we will grow and become all that you would have us to become. I pray, Father God, though, that we would desire that, that we would desire to be sort of selfless, to become selfless so that you can make us so much more. And so, Father, may we commit to laying down this oftentimes, Lord, what has become just a deep sense of pride and an unwillingness to engage and to learn from others and to grow in community with others. And so, Father, give us the courage to just kind of lay everything down, to lift you high, and to become the people you would have us to become. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.